welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from TrainingIndustry.com. Hi there, and welcome to the Business of Learning, the Training Industry Podcast. I'm Taryn Aish, editor at TrainingIndustry.com, here with my co-host, Scott Rutherford. Hi. Sales enablement has become a popular topic and a booming sub-industry of sales and training. And like any popular topic, it can be easily misunderstood and poorly implemented. So our guest speakers today are here to help you understand sales enablement and to develop an effective sales enablement strategy for your organization. We'll start with a conversation with Patrick Lynch, Vice President of Enablement Excellence and Innovation at MindTickle and a founding member of the Denver chapter of the Sales Enablement Society. Hi, Pat. Thanks for being here. Hi, Taryn. It's an honor. Thank you for inviting me. And we'll get that conversation started in just a minute after this. As a training professional, your job is to effectively manage the business of learning. You probably listen to this podcast to gain insights on L&D trends being used by some of the most innovative thought leaders in our market. But did you know that training industry also provides data-driven analysis and best practices through our premium research reports? Our entire catalog, including reports on topics such as deconstructing 70-2010, women's access to leadership development, learner preferences, and the state of the training market, just to name a few, can be found at trainingindustry.com slash shop research. New insights create new ways for L&D to do business. Let Training Industry Research Reports assist you in taking your learning initiatives to new heights. Go to trainingindustry.com slash shop research to view our entire catalog. So we're talking today about sales enablement. Uh, how would you define that term, Pat, and, and how is it different from sales training? Yes, that, that might be the $64,000 question among others. So uh, I might have a little bit different definition of sales enablement. There are many out there, uh, including research firms, uh, the Sales Enablement Society, and, and many companies in the sales enablement space have them as well. Oftentimes, they're talking about knowledge, skills, behaviors, coaching on a technology platform to help salespeople. But I'd like to just kind of cut to the chase. And I'd like to say that Really, sales enablement is all about helping salespeople win more. So at the end of the day, that's why sales enablement exists, is to help salespeople win, close more business, et cetera. And so I think sometimes, uh, though the definitions are, are very good, they might miss the point if they can't help them cross over that goal line. So that's my definition of sales enablement. So how is that different than, than sort of explicitly from sales training? Is sales training just one piece of sales enablement? Yes, it, it is, Scott, and uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Just kind of think of a, a slice of a pie, and that's sales training. Look at sales enablement as the umbrella, and so there's a lot of different activities that are taking place in sales enablement uh, depending on the size of the company. Obviously, the larger Corporations at the enterprise level have uh, oftentimes a staff, sometimes a large staff, and that will include sales training. It might include sales operations. It might include uh, sales kickoff events and sales event planning. Also, it might include sales technologies. Uh, you've heard the term a sales stack. So, there's an awful lot that sales enablement is becoming more and more responsible for. Sales training is just one aspect of that. And that might include as well the different types of sales methodologies that a company either uh, hires from a third party uh, corporation or that they're building inside uh, to do their own training with their own IP and content. So what are some common pitfalls, if there are any, or common mistakes that uh, organizations make when they approach sales enablement? Well, you know, it's, uh, there's a gentleman named Stephen Covey, and uh, he wrote a book, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. So I'm going to defer to him. I think he sold over 40 million books. One of my favorite habits is begin with the end in mind. And so I'd like to rephrase that with begin with enablement in mind. And the reason for that is oftentimes uh, we just need to stop what I've heard as random acts of enablement. And what that means is uh, oftentimes people in sales enablement 
are reactive and they have an ad hoc methodology. And you really can't blame them because especially if a sales organization is not hitting their number, there's tremendous pressure on the sales leader, sales manager, and in some cases, those salespeople who are not hitting their plan. And that pressure obviously is felt by those sales enablement executives. And so what ends up happening is the sales enablement executive becomes reactive rather than proactive. So that's the first mistake. The second mistake is that, uh, you know, you may have heard the term pause between the stimulus and response uh, in psychology. And the sales enablement executive has that opportunity to actually be the pause in a sales organization between that constant stimulus of hit quota, hit plan, uh, the pressure of the number, which is always there at the forefront. The sales enablement executive can literally, hopefully, in some cases, see over the horizon, whether that be new technologies, some best practices, so that they can bring that knowledge share and then start to apply it so that the salespeople can actually start to win more. So those are just a, a couple mistakes that sales enablement people make right out of the gate. Um, and, and obviously, it depends on you know, what I, what's commonly referred to as a, a sales enablement maturity index. There's many of those around. And so depending on where the sales organization is at and the sales enablement team, sometimes you really have to just, again, pause between that stimulus and response and, and do a self-assessment. Hey, where are we as a company in sales enablement compared to others? Yeah, that pause, though, I would imagine is something uh, it could probably and you can correct me if, I, if my assumption here is wrong, but wouldn't that place the sales enablement person sort of in the crosshairs? Because if that if that role, the sales enablement role is the one saying, OK, we've put these measures in place and now we have to wait to give them time to to take root. Um, are they are they then at odds with uh, other people who are looking to, you know, generate uh, revenue and close deals quickly? Well, they might be, uh, depending on, uh, yes, inherently they might be, uh, especially if your uh, sales cycles are very short and maybe you're involved in commodity selling. But more often than not, what we're seeing is the complexity of the, of the buying process. There's more people involved in making the buying decision. And especially with complex sales, there is no uh, quick sale. I mean, they, they term that in sales as a bluebird. And, um, and so even though they might be at odds, that's really, quite frankly, only those sales managers and sales leaders uh, who have their heads down and, and really aren't allowing the sales enablement executive to do their job. And that is help train their salespeople with not only some of the best methodologies out there, but with a sales process and sales tools to actually make them successful. And uh, so the sales leader has to give them some room to do their job. That's a great point. Um, now we've talked about uh, training as one element of sales enablement. What are some of the other elements of a comprehensive and successful sales enablement strategy? Yeah, there's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you bring up uh, the word sales strategy, uh, oftentimes a lot of companies have not really looked at a genuine sales enablement strategy. What the term we're starting to hear more and more and see is a enablement charter or a sales enablement charter statement. It really focuses um, on vision, mission, purpose, and uh, We've all heard those words, so let's define them for a moment. How does, how does vision, mission, purpose, how is that achieved within the sales enablement function? So what I would propose is that if you really don't know uh, where you want to go, you're going to go someplace or any place, and so you need a roadmap. And it's really the opportunity of the sales enablement executive who, by the way, kind of sits uh, maybe not in the crosshair, Scott, but they really sit in a, in a cross-functional way because they are collaborating not only with sales, 
and the different functionalities within the sales organization. But oftentimes, they're highly collaborative with marketing and finance, customer service, sometimes even uh, you know, accounting. And what ends up happening is the sales enablement executive becomes the keeper of so much knowledge and uh, tribal knowledge that they actually are some of the best people to begin an enablement charter. So uh, with that, what I'd like to do is just maybe explain some real basics to what an enablement charter can look like. And it's actually very simple. So let's just take a look at uh, three different things. First is, what's our mission? You need to define that from, and I would highly suggest that you get feedback and input from frontline salespeople all the way up to the C-suite. So what's our mission? Secondly, what's our overall strategic focus? What exactly are we trying to do? And, and here's a critical component. And how will this be tied to our business objectives? Okay. And then three, it involves alignment and agreement on only a few key objectives. And, and again, I would recommend no more than three or four. Sometimes there are so many objectives. There are so many goals in a charter statement that literally they get lost and it becomes very ineffective. So those are the three things I would focus on as a first step. And that does resonate with some of the observations we've made, you know, actually more broadly within learning and development, uh, the importance of uh, acting consultatively within the organization, being, being that, being that expert consultant and, 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 and being able to advise from a perspective of, of acumen and what's important to achieve that alignment. Uh, that's, that's something that we're seeing as a, as a trend and really a core skill of, of a learning leader more broadly. Yeah. You know, it's interesting uh, that you bring up, L&D, uh, I've, I've met with several different chief learning officers over the last few months, and I'm, I'm fascinated at the response I've received when asking some of these executives, can you tell me if your people are actually learning? And sometimes they say, no, we, we don't know if they're learning. Now, the, I would define the difference between training and learning is from a training perspective, you take a course, it could be check the box training or compliance training, but can you actually tell, is somebody learning from that training? And oftentimes you can't. So let's fast forward to a definition of learning. How do you know if somebody's actually learning? Well, that's where it's a very exciting time in sales enablement and especially using technology platforms like MindTickle and there's others out there because what ends up happening is you start to develop competency models, which then focus on skills development, which then translate, hopefully, into the right selling activities, which then can translate into performance outcomes. And so, again, it's not a linear approach that I've just described. It's actually, it's actually circular. But what, what I'm so excited about in the sales profession is that you can actually start to see learning outcomes with data analytics. And that allows a sales manager and a sales leader not necessarily to pivot, I know that's a very popular word, but to actually see almost in real time a gap analysis on, hey, are my people, are my salespeople actually learning from micro learning and these different you know, training modalities? And if they are, I can start to see where they're strong and where they're weak. And then I can start to pivot, right, with training to help them increase the learnings that make them effective. And then the, the second point is that the customer, for the very first time, can actually start to correlate learning outcomes to performance outcomes. And that's what's so exciting, uh, or at least in my humble opinion, about what's taking place in the sales enablement profession today that wasn't there, you know, five, six years ago. Yeah, I think there's probably agreement that uh, achieving change and, and measurable results or tangible results is always exciting. So with that, maybe I think that's about our time for, for the moment. So thanks for talking with us today. Uh, I will mention that uh, you can find more information on the Sales Enablement Society at sesociety.org. Pat, thanks very much. 
Yeah, thank you all. Enjoy your day. Thanks, Pat. Our next guest is Debbie Rizzo, CEO of Revenue Storm, who shares insights on why sales enablement leaders should have a seat at the executive table and how they can get there. Hi, Debbie. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. So, Debbie, how would you define sales enablement? And maybe you could help us understand how that's different from sales training. Sure. Um, as you know, everybody seems to be defining it differently, but the way we've decided to define it is that it's a strategic discipline that measures, aligns, and enables cross-functional roles across the customer buying journey to maximize their sales effectiveness, typically by providing process standards with benchmark metrics, smart technology, curated content, and practical ongoing training and coaching activities. And the reason it's different than training is that training is just one subcomponent of all of that. It's really trying to move the needle on results by using all five of those areas um, to best support people where they have needs. Um, so Debbie, would you say that, that uh, training is a component of sales enablement? Yes, it's one of the five areas that sales enablement can utilize to help improve performance in maximizing revenues across the buying journey. Okay, so what are, what are some common mistakes that you see organizations make when it comes to, um, to doing sales enablement? Um, well, we see f at least five, and it's um, really interesting to us that um, we have most of our clients already have some form of sales enablement, um, and, but we're already seeing consistent um, concerns and issues globally. Um, the first is that sales enablement isn't getting a seat at the table as a function. So they're not sitting next to sales or next to marketing or next to customer service as an equal function. Instead, they're reporting into one of those functions. You know, about half the time they're reporting into sales, about 35% of the time they're reporting into marketing, but they're always just a component of a function. And we believe it's best if they're sitting as an equal member of the leadership team, because the reason sales enablement is so important is the most important process a company has is the customer's buying journey, right? You, you need to be customer centric. And that today's customer buying journey is much more than it was in the past. Now we've got inside sales early on that could be doing inbound and outbound. You've got marketing automation that impacts the customer buying journey that's even before that. And then at the end, people still aren't really great about customer service and making sure that those people are helping maximize revenues with each customer touch that they have as they serve the customer post-delivery. So that customer buying journey has elongated and it's kind of hitting every function across the, the organization. And so to put them under one function um, limits the power and the integration you can have within an organization. So we're seeing that as an issue. And if it's going to stay in sales as a subsection of sales, it really has that person that's on the top of sales enablement has to be viewed as the right hand person of this chief sales officer. Um, otherwise, what we see happening too often, even though it can be the best person on top of sales enablement, there's so many other sales leaders that are reporting into that chief sales officer that their voices tend to overrule the sales enablement person and that sales enablement leader can kind of get into a um, inspection kind of a role, which isn't what it's designed to do, right? If they're really enabling, they need to be um, helping them and you don't want them to be viewed as somebody who's just um, uh, shining a light on the team's weaknesses and issues because then they become at odds within sales right and and we've seen that happen too often but when they're the right hand person of the sales leader at the top 
and say, nope, this person, it's really important for us to have sales enablement and we can all do things better. And I'm looking to him to show metrics across the full process. And um, when we make a decision, I want it rolled out across the teams that gives them the currency and power and influence that they need in order to make their role successful. Debbie, it's interesting that you talk about getting that seat at the table. That's something we see um, across learning and development often, uh, you know, learning and development leaders and sales enablement leaders looking for that seat at the table. So what strategies can sales enablement leaders use to uh, get that seat at the table and really become a, a equal partner of the other leadership uh, in the company? Well, I think it's having a discussion once someone's decided that sales enablement is important to the organization and they can kind of see that in order for us to expand and grow our revenues, we need to look at the entire process, right? The, the entire customer buying process. How, are we, how early are we getting in? How long are we extending it? How are we doing with customer service? How are we leading those referrals and leads back into the business to try to close more business? Um, usually the executive team will see that that's important. And again, whether that means that it's getting an equal functional role with sales and marketing and customer service, or whether they um, decide to put it in sales or marketing, the executive team has to say that this is vital to me and I need to see these metrics and I want them to be um, transparent across the organization so that the leader, whoever they are reporting to, knows that they have to um, give them the authority that they need. Um, related to that is one um, unusual thing that we're seeing more recently than uh, we have in past years is in an opt-in culture that some chief sales officers are, are taking, and it's not playing out well. Um, they'll say, oh, well, when it comes to sales tools or sales methods, we'll do training, but everybody can opt in if they want to. We'll show them what they could do, what's best practice. But if they don't decide to do it and they don't want to do it, that's fine. But, and this is so important to the company, they really need to make it a standardized process and you don't have to go overboard, just pick the minimum things that you need to do. But think of it like sales forecasting. Would you ever say to a salesperson, you know, let's just sales, let's just forecast if you're feeling like it. Well, no, you know, we're not just going to count on everybody's achieving their quota. They have um, a forecast that the analysts, if it's public, are expecting, shareholders, if it's not public, they want to know what the next quarter is going to look like. So everybody has to forecast. It's the same thing with sales enablement. You need to have consistency and a common nomenclature and common expectations. So there needs to be a minimum set of expectations set for the organization. And you can't allow them to opt in for those few really important things. And you need to let sales enablement um, have that authority to put those minimums in place. And they're not going to do it in a vacuum, right? If they're in a separate function, they're going to get buy-in um, from sales leadership and the other functions. And if it's under sales or under marketing, they're still going to want to get buy-in from the influential sales leaders and sales officer to make sure that they haven't overdone it because you're better off doing things in an iterative step, asking for, you know, having less mandatory things and then adding to it as you see that they're completing them rather than overwhelming people with too many expectations. Yeah, it's really interesting what you're talking about, uh, uh, really building credibility with the functional leaders, it sounds like, and and and, uh, and trying to balance the, the role of a sales enablement consultant, um, that uh, you're here to support them, but also you're demanding, uh, you're sort of demanding rigor from them. Yeah. Uh, and that's got to be a difficult balance, right, especially if you're coming into an organization from, you know, quote, the outside. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's why we define it as a discipline, right? It's a strategic discipline. So it's very important to the company, but it is going to take some rigor, right? And the process and metrics is, is important. Um, when you asked what are some of the things that we see, you know, mistakes that happen, that's one of the things is people are um, in sales enablement tend to be really good process people, and they'll help put together what's the minimum process, the standard process of what we want things, how we want things to work and what handoffs happen and what goes to the client and why. But they don't always um, put in what are the metrics for that process and um, how many interactions should be happening how uh, for that role, how many calls are expected. And to do that well, you have to work with the, the leaders of that role so that you're really coming together to say, here's what normal looks like. Um, we've seen a lot of times when people are doing it without that, they just have unrealistic expectations of people. And so when they're reporting in, they're not meeting the metrics that were um, expected. And that's really demotiv uh, demotivating to uh, individuals. So you want them to be um, realistic and you can gradually improve them over time, but they need to be something that the leadership of that role, since it's cross-functional, agrees with is achievable on a day-to-day -day basis so that people have something to strive for, but something that they can actually achieve. And if they're just way too high, uh, you're not doing anybody a favor there, right? It's not going to motivate people to, to strive to do better if it's 50% too high. Great. So, Debbie, what are some of the other keys to developing a successful sales enablement strategy? Um, I think the most important, first and foremost, is defining the scope. Um, we've seen a lot of different definitions of sales enablement and Sometimes it includes recruiting and selection. Sometimes it includes sales coaching rather than um, coaching on a process. Um, so they really have to decide what's going to be in the scope, what activities, and then second of all, what roles, what is in the client buying journey that's going to be a part of sales enablement. And you don't have to have, it's best to have the full set of roles, but you don't have to layer on all the functions right away, right? You can do it piecemeal. Um, and then lastly is really that opt-in or required decision. What power and authority is sales enablement going to have? If it's an opt-in culture, frankly, they're probably better off not doing sales enablement because um, it's expensive. You know, there's a lot of work to go into that for people just to have the few people that are motivated to do it. You really want it to be an organizational effort and initiative. Um, then you need to decide where they should be reporting into, right? Are they at that equal set of the seat at the table? Or is it going to report into sales or is it going to report into marketing? Um, identify the key metrics that you want to track and then baseline them. Where are those metrics today? And where is the industry today? Where do we want to get to? Um, and then it's really important to get insight into the roles and do a survey, find out the people doing those roles today, what are their challenges in generating sales? And then to also survey those roles managers to find out what the managers think the sales challenges are. Because with their input, you can start trying to address their challenges right away and that's gonna have the best impact. And they'll see that sales enablement just isn't about process or metrics, that they're really trying to help them where they have the need and you'll have the best involvement and enablement with the participants by starting at their point, their biggest point of need. And getting that buy-in from the people involved is, is obviously critical and, and sometimes overlooked when people are, are looking at change initiatives, for sure. It is. It is. It's very easy for them to speed to solution rather than kind of taking a seat back and saying, you know, we have a perception and the leadership has a perception, but let's see what they think and weaving that into your initiative at the, at the very beginning. So that's definitely an important step.
And then lastly, what technology do we need uh, to enable these sales enablement responsibilities? And that isn't just CRM, right? That's also what kind of knowledge portal are we going to use? Some people put it all in CRM. Some people use SharePoint. Some people use an internet. But um, we find that as a, uh, as a big weakness is too many times they haven't really thought through the hierarchy and how can people easily find what they need for content? And then how do they curate it? How do they make sure that the best things go in there and that somebody's responsible for taking out the old things and updating it? And we all know if you have a database that you have to manage and you're not keeping it up to date, it becomes garbage very quickly and then people won't be using it. So the curation and the hierarchy is something that you really need to prioritize in your strategy. Thank you so much for joining us today. We've uh, enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. And uh, again, um, anybody has any questions, we'd be happy to help them. Sales enablement is uh, our heart and soul at Revenue Storm. You can find Revenue Storm on LinkedIn and on Twitter at, at Revenue Storm, of course. So thanks, Debbie, very much. Thanks so much. One of the keys to implementing an effective sales and implement strategy is approaching it like any other change initiative. Julie Thomas, the president and CEO of Value Selling Associates and the author of Value Selling, Driving Sales Up One Conversation at a Time, told us more. The way I see it is sales enablement is the function in an organization that is in place to support, prepare, and enable the sales team to be as effective as possible. Training for sure is one of the components of what sales enablement does, but it is not the only component that sales enablement does. Sales enablement also takes, um, uh, is involved in communication, in field advocacy, um, training could be just in time ad hoc training throughout the year. It can also be rigorous onboarding training to uh, quickly prepare new hires to be as productive and uh, generating revenue as quickly as possible. But it's usually the function that is responsible for all of the activities that would help the salespeople be as productive as possible in selling and take over some of those functions and roles and administration that salespeople often find themselves mired in the muck with. So, and also maybe perhaps with, with that, you know, sort of different uh, scope in mind, it's it, unlike sales training in that uh, the, the, the intended audience of sales enablement uh, goes beyond the sales department, right? It, it often can go beyond the sales department because in order to be to provide all of that uh, resource and insight and tools to the sales team, they are often integrating and collaborating and communicating with the product teams and the marketing teams and coordinating the efforts among all of those customer-facing activities for sure. Right now, with, uh, with that in mind, what are some common mistakes that you see organizations make when it comes to sales enablement? Well, I, I would say probably one of the first um, mistakes that we see clients make is is identifying the function and then not funding what needs to happen for sales enablement to be successful. I see some people that look at is sales enablement, is it just putting a platform in place? Is it just putting a specific training program in place? And not really holistically looking at what are the needs of the sales teams and where are they finding themselves in those time suck traps, if you will, that become the barriers to productivity. Um, I have a client that just recently went through uh, a very high level time motion study and it was what they thought the sales reps were spending their time on was very different than reality. And it was very eye-opening for them in that they realized that some of the things that they thought they had in place had never been communicated or if they were communicated had never been 
fully understood by the field and therefore we're not being leveraged. So it, it they, they kind of stepped back and said, okay, it's not just a platform. It's not just a class. It's not just a central point of contact. We've got to really design a program that is understood and, um, and meets the needs of the field where the field is. So it sounds like uh, that sort of uh, diagnostic consulting is is key to uh, making sales enablement uh, work. But what would you say are keys to uh, really putting in place a, a successful sales enablement strategy? Well, I think there's a couple of keys. I mean, certainly one of the keys, as we just said, is you can't be prescriptive if you don't have a good diagnosis. So, so certainly understanding the root causes of the problems that are getting in the way of, of maximizing productivity um, and coming up with strategies, tools, and in sometimes communication processes that can turn um, those uh, solutions into um, to be readily accepted for the field um, and I think that's a big part of it oftentimes we see people going and slapping a new technology or looking at the bright shiny object thinking that that's going to be the panacea that they need to solve all of their woes and you know just like uh, Kevin Costner in the field of dreams, unfortunately, when it comes to technology, if we build it, they will not come. So we need to really understand what are the problems we're trying to solve, and then what is the best approach that the, the field is open to that we can make sure that we're, we're meeting their needs where they are. And oftentimes, you know, the field, uh, you know, I'm talking about sales, um, there's a number of different types of needs. You've got strategic account um, managers who have different needs than maybe your business development reps in terms of content, in terms of information, in terms of skill sets that they need to be continually refining and um, and um, becoming experts in. And, and sales enablement has the charter to understand all of the different demographics that they're serving in that organization. All right, Julie, you mentioned, um, you know, if you build it, they might not come. So what are some strategies to, uh, to make them come, to, um, to make the sales enablement technologies and programs um, more appealing to the people who need to actually use them? Well, anytime we're looking at, at rolling out any of these initiatives, what we're ultimately doing is, a classic change management exercise. So if you look at change management and what are some of the success criteria for that, um, it is constant communication, clear objectives, um, clear payoff to not only enablement, so they can check the box that they solved the problem, but what's the payoff to the sales rep? Um, in engaging and getting uncomfortable in learning new processes, visiting, um, leveraging new technologies, um, collaborating and sharing best practices and all of those things, and then measuring the success of that. And, you know, kind of back to one of the questions you asked earlier was what, what is one of the common mistakes we see? You know, the communication it comes that this is our new process, here's how we're going to do things, and then that's where it ends. There's no ongoing reinforcement, communication, recognition, celebration of the success that may come as people um, adopt the new processes and leverage those new tools. Sure, it has to be uh, uh, socialized, and, and 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 I guess that probably uh, speaks to, uh, you know, really the adoption of of uh, sales enablement is is you know, when it's initially. Imp introduced for the first time, I would imagine in an organization, as, as many new ideas are, it could be resisted. So, so those success stories and those uh, success metrics uh, probably are, are, are what uh, helps it sort of get entry into the culture. No question. I mean, um, I'm not sure we see as much resistance to sales enablement, at least at the conceptual level. I think the resistance comes when 
people all of a sudden find themselves in some new portal or some new system struggling to find what they need, getting frustrated that what they thought they were going to get wasn't exactly what they're seeing, or feeling like all of a sudden there's a process laden on them or being uh, mandated of them that isn't saving them time. As a matter of fact, it's, it's creating more wasted time. And and that's where I think the rubber meets the roll. It's not a silver bullet. It's not just, hey, let's build a port portal. Let's just have some sort of a, um, uh, a communication platform and let's, let's make sure that, that there's one person who's the central point of contact. It's a lot more complex than that. Um, supporting salespeople is different than supporting some of the other functions in the organization. Good, bad, or indifferent, salespeople tend to think differently. They tend to behave differently, and therefore their needs are unique in the organization. Julie, thank you so much for your time today. Excellent. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me to participate in this with you. Have a wonderful day. All right, great talking to you. Our final guest is Tim Reister, Chief Strategy and Research Officer at Corporate Visions and co-author of several books about marketing and sales. He tells us that just-in-case training just won't cut it, which is where sales enablement comes in. Thanks, Taryn. Appreciate you having me today. Sales enablement has definitely come to mean many things, but I, I tend to focus on one area. So I start with the idea of sales, and I like to say that sales and salespeople are the last bastion of competitive differentiation. Salespeople with their lips moving, to be more specific, as, as websites and all the other marketing tools start to make companies sound more and more alike, it's, it's salespeople in a customer conversation that make all the difference. So then whatever a company can do to make these customer conversations better, I ultimately see as the job of sales enablement. Now, how that's different from sales training is that I like to think of, of sales enablement as more situational and just in time. I often refer to sales training as, as just in case. Oftentimes, sales training creates catalogs and calendars and trains people on things as competencies that they, they should or they might need, where sales enablement's looking at strategic initiatives, challenges, competitive threats, go-to-market strategy, and saying, hey, how can we equip and enable the salespeople with a great story and the skills to have a great conversation to solve for this problem or make this market move or address this competitive threat? So one of the things I'm wondering about and, and discussing with a lot of people in training and enablement is, is, is maybe is this all just going to morph together? Uh, maybe the future is just in time situational enablement and that becomes the training of the future um, as opposed to catalogs and calendars, which I think are, are, are slowly, maybe even quickly being a little outmoded when it comes to companies needing to be super responsive. So it sounds like if you're talking about just-in-time situational enablement, um, there's a necessary uh, uh, enablement technology or data layer there, isn't there, to make that work? Well, there, there's probably two, right? So I think that uh, we talk often about training needing to be in line with the way salespeople work. Some people talk about online training. But again, online can be very event-focused. The idea of inline means that as you work your way through an opportunity, we see that the messages, the content assets, and, and even the skills and skills coaching you need will show up situationally based on the sales stage you're in and, and recognizing that salespeople, just like all humans, are what I call deficit learners. They learn best when they're in deficit. And when they go into an opportunity and they pick a stage that they're in, that's the moment they're suddenly in deficit. They need learnings around how to address that opportunity at that stage. And now they're willing and able and, and more open to learning. So your stuff has to show up at that moment. So whether that layer is a technology piece or it's embedded in the CRM, uh, you're right. There's, there's something that has to make this access metaphor uh, just as situational as the salesperson is. And then of course your messaging, your content, content and skills need to be diced this way so that they actually provide the help needed for that moment. 
So that's the ideal scenario, right? That's when everything works. Maybe could you talk about a little uh, of what you've seen or common mistakes uh, organizations uh, make when it comes to uh, approaching sales enablement? What, you know, where, what are the pitfalls? Yeah, so the technology's always been able to serve up more situational uh, messaging and content and skills. The problem is most companies don't uh, organize their messaging, content, skills, or coaching that way. It's it's like everybody's got to move to the left now and learn some negotiation skills. Now everybody has to shuttle to the right and we got to learn some presentation skills. Now we shuffle back to the left and we learn sales process. And you kind of learn all these things all at once and everybody learns them. And what we've started to discover is that everybody comes in with different skill sets and maybe different needs and, and that teaching these all at the same time and all at once um, puts people in a position of having to remember it when they actually need it. And I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest aha. And that's sort of the biggest reveal of the flawed approach is that, uh, and that's where I came up with the phrase sort of like just in case training isn't cutting it. If I'm struggling today, in building pipeline. I don't need to go through negotiations training as much as I need to go through some prospecting training. And I need it today. I can't wait until six months from now when it's on the calendar in my region. And, and so if you realize that the problems and needs are unique by potentially different sales teams or sales individuals and the markets they're in, right? The threats or the opportunities and they are happening now, uh, you start to have to rethink this. And I was talking to somebody at IBM recently who said um, they, they were talking, they're, they're having a pipeline problem in a certain division right now. And they're talking about the training they were going to do at sales kickoff. And the sales leader said, no, we're going to stand up a program right now. We're going to build a very hardcore disruptive prospecting message. We're going to get these hundred people in a room and they're going to certify in that message and learn the skills on how to be more disruptive. We can't wait until January. So that's how I see things changing and people starting to react. What are some of the keys to developing a successful sales enablement strategy? Well, I think the keys are, are, are figuring out from your, um, your executive team and as well as looking at, let's say, your strategic go-to-market strategies and say, how can we help enable these things? Um, often, we want to go to managers, sales managers, and say, what, what do your people need? And often, they, they may feel they need something, uh, but the company needs something else out of them. So I'll give you an example. We were working with a very large company, and um, they, they identified that when they lose to a competitor, they're losing because they're selling too low in the organization. The competitor's coming in at a higher executive level. So they're, they're, they're recognizing they need some sort of competitive protection for their accounts, which means they need to increase their executive or strategic altitude. Um, so they're, they're standing up a program based on that. And they then, this is now the head of sales identifying this. And then the head of sales also said, and last year, and in fact, the last 20 years, all of our salespeople could make their quota based on renewals alone. They simply could hit their number just by renewing existing customers. Well, the new number and the growth target and the quota they're going to get won't allow that to happen in the coming year. So they're going to need specific skills and stories to help dislodge and defeat competitors as well. So they had sort of a competitive uh, attack strategy and a competitive defense strategy, which uh, was driven by the head of sales and their strategic agenda. And, and so enablement does well by saying, let me figure out how to stand up programs that address these two things that have been identified. Now, flip that around, and there's a different company I was working with that had two major product launches. One was to a market segment where they had very little share, and they had to tell a great disruptive story, and their salespeople needed to become disruptors. But at the same time, three months later, they were going to launch a product update in a category where they had 80% share, and they had to be really good at defending that status and introducing a price increase and, and trying to protect against competitors. Well, the same salesperson has to accomplish two totally different things, potentially one meeting in the morning at one end of the hospital and then another meeting in the afternoon at the other end of the hospital and they gotta be great at totally opposite things on that day. So if you're enablement, you have to figure out how do I situationally put together a package that allows that person to address this 
physician or this buying influence uh, when I need to disrupt them. And then in the afternoon, when I need to defend my position, I'm good at that too. And, and so we're talking about packages now of interactive messages and content and skills to improve that dialogue and then salespeople being able to be fluent enough that in the morning they have to do one thing one way, in the afternoon the other way. And that, again, was driven by enablement, talking to the marketing team and their strategic product launches and looking at where their number's going to come from this year and recognizing these two products are make or break for us. So let's build our enablement to support that. So, again, all signs pointing towards strategic initiatives or go-to-market strategies or competitive threats and enablement, talking to the right people and, and often that's not the sales managers. The sales managers trying to figure out the competencies of their reps are not always aligned with the corporate agenda. Sure, there's alignment with the corporate agenda. There sounds like you're, you're, you're leveraging uh, marketing, messaging, marketing strategy pretty heavily and then, then uh, sort of wrapping all of that up in, into, you know, sort of the right uh, uh, quiver, I, well, to use the archery uh, metaphor, but the right quiver of training tasks to, to, help, uh, to help in that specific moment. It's got to be integrated now. I don't think standalone training and just learning some skills separate from the story you got to tell and the assets you need to tell it um, is, is going to work anymore. I see that if ultimately what enablement does is improve a customer conversation, it's, it's stories plus skills. It's not just one or the other. And that integration effort can only happen in enablement because you've got marketing on one side and then you got sales leaders on the other side. And if these things, stories and skills have to come together it's almost the definition of enablement in my mind to, to bring these things together for a more holistic look at improving your customer conversations. Great. Well, thanks very much. Um, your most recent book, as I understand it, is The Three Value Conversations. Tim, thanks very much for spending some time with us today. Appreciate the opportunity. And uh, anything we can do to formalize and codify sales enablement will be good for companies moving forward. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thanks to all of our guests, Debbie Rizzo of Revenue Storm, Pat Lynch of MindTickle, Julie Thomas of Value Selling, and Tim Reister of Corporate Visions for joining us today and sharing their thoughts on sales enablement. You can read all about sales training, coaching, and enablement on our website at trainingindustry.com sales. As always, we've enjoyed sharing insights with you today on the business of learning. Talk to you next time. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.